You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We are going to talk tonight about how disciples worship even when it is hard. We're continuing our series, This is the Way. Um, I forget which week this is. I think five? Five. Bingo. I nailed it. Um, And if you have your Bible, I want you guys to turn to the book of Job. That's what we are going to be studying tonight. And make sure you guys grab the jars of pens on the inside aisles and then pass those down so you guys can take notes. Um, They're going to... We're going to have a couple good notes to take tonight. So as you're turning to Job 1, um, we are going to be studying Job and how this relates to how we as disciples um, deal with difficult times. And we're going to study Job and how he sort of reacted to these things. Um, and I want you guys to pay very specific attention to how he deals with these things um, that occur in his life, specifically these tragedies. Um, so it's the summary of Job. He's this guy, um, the book is in the New, t- sorry, Old Testament, and Job is a pretty solid guy. Um, Job 1.8, God describes him as a noble, um, upright, blameless man who fears God and shuns evil. Um, so he is a pretty godly man, and God recognizes that. And then he suddenly loses everything. So I'm going to read this next passage. It's Job 1, verse 13 through 22. If you have your Bible, follow along. If not, it'll be up on the screen. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabines attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So just in the first chapter of this book, Job lost everything. He lost his sheep, his camel, he lost all of his servants, and he, he lost his children. They were all killed. Now I want us to look specifically at how he reacted to these tragedies. 
And this isn't in your notes, but I encourage you to write down these two things of how did Job react. The first thing he did was he grieved. He ripped his clothes and he shaved his head. In the ancient Near Eastern custom of cutting hair, it was a symbol of destitution, which means you're suddenly in poverty. You weren't, and then now you were. Job shaved his head as a deliberate action to show his devastation. The truth is, Job, he didn't fake a smile. He didn't, you know, pretend everything was okay, but he accepted what had happened. He mourned, and he grieved what had happened. And I genuinely think that there's a lot of expectation for all of us to have it all together all the time. And the truth is, guys, it's okay to not be okay. That's a huge thing I want you to take away tonight is it's okay to not be okay. So the second thing he did, first is he grieved, second thing he did, he fell to the ground and he worshipped. And he worshipped with the only thing he had left. And this was a humble, dependent, and devout heart. I'm going to reread what he what he said. Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. It definitely takes a devout person to say this, especially after all of the tragedies that have just happened to him. And I think this is a bit of a hot take, but I think if a lot of us were in Job's shoes, we would not react that way, right? A lot of us would say things like, God, why would you let something like this happen to me? What did I, what did I do to deserve this? And there's actually a big flaw in this thinking, in this question that we may ask. Because the truth is, we deserve nothing. And further, we actually deserve death. Why? It's because we've sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And this is your first fill-in. Remember that we deserve death. So what did God give us instead of death? He gave us forgiveness. And though through Jesus dying in our place on the cross, we were forgiven and are given a second chance at life. So it's important that we first just get rid of this sense of entitlement of well, I'm a good person, hence I deserve good things, and nothing bad should ever happen to me, right? Now, the truth is, if you believe that only good things should happen to good people and only bad things should happen to bad people, that means you don't believe in forgiveness, in grace, and in mercy. We, as humans, we don't determine what good and bad people deserve. Only God does. That's your next fill-in. We don't determine what good and bad people deserve, only God does. So let me take it a step further. What does it mean, what is, what is a good person, what is a bad person, right? And maybe this is an easy question. You guys will say, well, Haley, that's easy. A, good, a bad person murders and, you know, robs people and hurts people and, you know, like, the bad people. We all know what that means, right? And, and a good person is, you know, someone who's nice and doesn't hurt people and cares about people and doesn't do all of the bad things, right? If you think you're a good person, you do know you're not a perfect person, right? Because we've all done bad things. It may not look like 
the big bad things, but we've all sinned. We've done wrong, right? And these bad things are sin. And if you've done bad things, that means you're an imperfect person. You're not a good person. And the only good person who's ever lived is Jesus because he never did anything bad. He never sinned, and he was the only perfect person to ever live. So again, none of us are really good people, right, if you break it down in that way. And God knew that we would all fall short, so he knows we'd all do bad things, which is why he forgave us through Jesus. Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. John 16, also says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. That's an important word right there, will. It doesn't say if or, you know, maybe at some point, but we will have trouble. And it continues, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So another point I want to talk about tonight is how it's a guarantee that during this life, we will experience loss. We will experience pain, heartbreak, um, even maybe betrayal and loss. But here is some really good news, guys. It's your next fill-in. Remember that God is protecting you. Remember that God is protecting you. And the next one, I hope you guys are fast note-takers. If you are a follower of Jesus, you become a target for Satan. Now, if you're sitting here and you've kind of checked out this message, I want you all to pay attention to this next point because this is the most important thing you will hear all night. So if there's one takeaway that you guys hear, I want you to hear this. Both God and Satan want you to follow them. And I made this little visual slide for you guys as I explain this analogy. God's over here, Satan's over here, and you're in the middle. And it's one or two ways. There's, it's a linear line. You can either walk one way or you can walk the other way. And that's up to you. Now, if you're not following God, which path are you by default walking down? Satan's right. Even if you're not actively worshiping Satan or if you are practicing, you know, Satanistic things, if you, if you are not facing God and you are not walking down this path, there's only one other direction that you can go down, and that's Satan's. And if you're not following God, Satan is great with that. Even if you don't know you're walking down this path, he is, he is living his best life. Satan is very content, very happy. But as soon as you turn away from Satan and you are now following God's path, no matter where you are, if you have your back to Satan, you know what happens? Is you now have a target on your back because you have turned your back on Satan and you are following God. And when you have a target on your back, Satan is gonna do everything that he can do to distract you from God, to turn you away from him, to lie to you, to distract you, so that you turn away from God and come back onto his path. And maybe you're sitting here and you're absolutely overwhelmed and maybe you're terrified of even the thought of being under attack by Satan. But again, I have good news. God will protect you. 
God will protect you. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, it says, The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you. And I want to show you some examples of how we can see God protecting us just through his word right here. Everything that I'm about to state from God is in this word. They're paraphrased, but you can find everything I'm going to say right here in this Bible. So let's say you've turned away from Satan, and he's, he's going to say something like, you're worthless. God doesn't love you. He, he doesn't have time for you. He doesn't care about you. You know what God says to that? He's going he's gonna to look at you as you're facing him, and he's going to say, hey, Romans 5, 6 through 8, you are worthy even when you don't feel like you are. Satan might say, well, you've done too much wrong. It's too late for you. You might as well come back over here. God says, mm-mm, Romans 8, 1, all is erased clean, and I love you all the same. Satan might say, well, you're just a burden to the world. You know what God says? In Ephesians 2.10, he says, you bring me joy in who you are. And Satan might even try and say, God doesn't even love you. No one does. And you know what God says? He says it time and time again. Zephaniah 3.17, John 3.16, Romans 8, 37 through 39, he says, if only you knew how much I love you. God will defend you, he will protect you, and he loves you. Now your last fill-in is, remember that life is a gift. Life is a gift. And I'm going to share this story about a famous hymn that you guys might be familiar with. It's called It Is Well. Anybody recognize that one? It is. I'm not going to sing it because I'm not on the worship band. But it's a really great song. Um, and if you don't know the story behind this song, I want to explain it to you right now. I'm going to read you sort of a portion of it. Um, but this song, it has a really special, significant meaning um, behind the writer of this story. And I'm going to read it to you guys. And while I do, I have a few of the worship member band members are going to come up and sing it for you guys. And while they're singing, I want you guys to just listen to the words after I share this story, I want you guys to be thinking about what was going through the head of the man that wrote this song. So, here is the story of the song, It Is Well. Life can be so unpredictable. Joys and sorrows, beautiful blessings and distressing difficulties can come unexpectedly. Our life's dreams and plans can change in an instant. We all know this to be true. So how can we find peace amidst such turbulence? Horatio Spafford knew something about life's unexpected challenges. He was a successful attorney and real estate investor who lost a fortune in the great Chicago fire of 1871. And around the same time, his beloved four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. Thinking a vacation would do his family some good, he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to England, planning to join them after he finished some pressing business at home. However, while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was involved in a terrible collision and sunk. More than 200 people lost their lives, including all four of Spafford's precious daughters. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. Upon arriving to England, she sent a telegram to her husband that began, 
Saved alone, what shall I do? Spafford immediately set sail for England. And at one point during his voyage, the captain of the ship, aware of the tragedy that had struck the family, he summoned Spafford to tell him that they were now passing over the spot where the shipwreck had occurred. As Spafford thought about his daughters, words of comfort and hope filled his heart and mind. He wrote them down, and they have since become a well-beloved hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know. It is well, it is well with my soul. You ready? So perhaps we cannot always say that everything is well in all aspects of our lives. There will always be storms to face, and sometimes there will be tragedies. But with faith in a loving God and with trust in his divine help, we can confidently say, it is well, it is well with my soul.